Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. June 29th, 2018, Steve Ditko passed away at the age of 90. Now, if you're listening to this, you probably know who he is, or at the very least have been entertained by one of his creations. He's probably best known as the creator of Spider-Man, but he also created such characters as Doctor Strange, The Creeper, Hawk and Dove, The Question, Squirrel Girl, and a host of others. I personally have not read much of his work outside of Spider-Man, and I'm not much of a fan of his distinctive art style, I'm sorry to say, but I just couldn't let his passing go by without honoring such a legendary creator in some way. I thought about Spider-Man, but on this very same network, Andrew Leyland spent several episodes of his show, Palace of Glittering Delights, covering Ditko's entire run on Spider-Man with Steve, with Steve, with Stan Lee, plus... Paul Spataro and Bill Robinson over on Back to the Bins have had their own Ditko special coming out, so I want to cover something a little different. The character I chose was the Blue Beetle. Technically, the Blue Beetle had been around since the Golden Age, but kind of fell by the wayside after the war when most of the other superhero comics disappeared. The character was brought back during the Silver Age at Charlton Comics, or Carlton Comics, I'm not sure how to say it. I'm going to call it Charlton. And if someone knows better, please let me know. CharliesGeekCast at gmail.com. Thank you. Anyway, while the character was brought back over at Charlton with a few minor tweaks, um, instead of taking pills for his powers, he used a scarab because by this point we had the comics code and drugs were a no-no. Uh, but he also had you know better superpowers. He never really caught on, though. Meanwhile, over at Marvel, Stanley and Steve Ditko had created Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, although Doctor Strange was more of a Ditko-only creation. Stan just gave him the dialogue. But Steve was getting more and more disgruntled by his treatment at the company and Stan being given sole credit for the creation of the characters. So, he quit. He moved over to Charlton Comics and DC Comics and continued churning out comics. He was already working on Captain Adam when his revamp when his revamp of Blue Beetle was introduced as a backup feature, basically doing to Blue Beetle what Julie Schwartz had done for characters such as Hawkman, Green Lantern, Flash, and the Atom over at DC, Ditko's Blue Beetle had no superpowers, a different costume, was a little bit more sci-fi, and had a different secret identity, this time Ted Kord. The difference was that he was a legacy character, living in the same universe as the previous Blue Beetle. In fact, for the next few issues, and the first issue of his solo title, 
A subplot running through all the stories was that the police were investigating Cord in connection to the disappearance of Dan Garrett, who was secretly the first Blue Beetle, on Pago Island. Today, we're going to be looking at issue two of Blue Beetle, which finally reveals what happened to, what happened to Dan and how Ted became the Blue Beetle. After these messages, Charlie's Geekcast will return after these promos. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the Cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the Archaeologist in the 1960s, from everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, We'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGPod.com and CordIndustries.blogspot.com. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. <laughs> now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about Cheers, yeah. <laughs> that kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. song you just heard was Respect by Aretha Franklin, which just happened to be the number one song on the charts at the time of the issue we're going to be covering today. This issue is Blue Beetle number two. It was cover dated in August 1967 and was released approximately around the 1st of June of 1967, with a cover price of 12 cents. The title of the story we're covering today is The End is a Beginning, plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko, scripted by David Glansman, lettered by A. Machine and edited by Dick Giordano. 
after yet another early evening visit to his lab by Lieutenant Fisher, reminding him that he's still under investigation, Ted Cord calls it a night, switches to his Blue Beetle costume, and takes off in his flying bug in search of adventure. However, after two hours without anything catching his attention, he decides to take a little joyride in the bug before calling it a night. But when he flies over Pago Island, he spots a light and then decides to investigate, finding Ted's girlfriend, Tracy. It turns out that she is very worried about her boyfriend and has been searching the island for some clue that would help prove his innocence. In an attempt to ease her worries, he removes his mask to reveal that Ted is Blue Beetle and then tells her exactly what happened on Pago Island. Ted's Uncle Jarvis had recruited him to help with his scientific experiments without actually revealing what the experiments were what the experiments were for. After finally making a breakthrough, Jarvis promises to tell Ted everything, but that evening the lab was rocked by an explosion. Only one body was found inside, and while it was burned beyond recognition, it was assumed to be Jarvis's. However, Ted discovered a box that had somehow been protected by the, from the explosion by some chemicals, and it was full of notes, and a map with Pago Island marked on it, and a roll of film. Playing the film because everyone had a projector back in those days, I guess. The film te showed test footage of an incredibly powerful robot, able to crush rock and bend an iron bar with ease. Believing that his uncle might still be alive and realizing that the results of his experiments could, would be used to assist in the creation of these robots, Ted went to Dan Garrett, an archaeologist that he knew from their college days. After seeing the film himself and listening to Ted's thoughts on the matter, Dan agrees to help, and they head to Pago Island. Upon landing on the island, both men are captured by more advanced versions of the robots from the film. They're taken to an underground lair and learn that Jarvis is very much alive and has used Ted's experimentation to create an, an invincible android. A super android, in fact. And he will create more of them to become the absolute ruler of the world. Having heard enough, Dan activates his mystical scarab and turns into the Blue Beetle. Beetle frees himself and Ted and fights off the robots, but Jarvis locks them in the room before they can catch up to him. In a desperate move, Jarvis overloads the circuits of the robots, causing them to explode. This produces feedback that causes his computers to explode, killing Jarvis for real this time. Meanwhile, Blue Beetle had managed to protect Ted from the explosion, but it basically leaves him near death. He makes Ted promise to keep his secret and to carry on for the Blue Beetle before the floor and ceiling begin to collapse. Ted gets to safety, but Blue Beetle ends up buried. As the facility continues to collapse, Ted manages to escape, but is knocked out in the process. He's eventually rescued and is questioned by the police, but he can't explain what happened without revealing Dan's secret. Later, Ted's dad, who is also a scientist but never seen, at least not in this issue, gives Ted access to his old experiments and says he can do whatever he wants with them. He manages to use the bits and pieces to create the flying bug and a costume, plus a bunch of gadgetry. After months of testing and a crash physical training program, he became the new Blue Beetle. Ending his tale, Ted and Tracy are interrupted by two of Jarvis's robots that manage to survive the cave-in somehow. Ted manages to get Tracy to the bug, and while it means taking some super strong punches from the robots, he manages to maneuver them over to a crevice and knocks them into it. Then he uses the bug to fill the crevice and the holes the robots use to escape with large rocks and boulders. And as Ted and Tracy fly off, down below, lights flash, switches click, and sparks spark. 
as one of the hands of Jarvis's super android moves. Now, before I get into my notes, I just wanted to point out that this issue also features the first appearance of The Question, also by Steve Ditko. And it's kind of interesting how this worked out, because the first appearance of Blue Beetle happened in Captain Adam number 83, which just happened to be the first part of a two-part story in which the Captain Adam, cha- uh, I, I don't know if he actually changes his powers because I didn't read the story, but he changes his costume. He goes from that yellow and orange costume, or yellow and red, and over to um, basically the, the more blue costume with the silver arms that he had during Crisis on Infinite Earths, really. So I, I just think it's kind of interesting that as we're getting to important stuff in one story, something is introduced in the backup. It's kind of cool. And it's all by Steve Ditko here. He's really all over this all over the superhero part of this company. Anyway, the cover. The cover's not bad. I mean, it isn't all that great, but I mean, it I mean, it, it's mostly just kind of static images. The the one action image is kind of small because of all the stuff on it. However, if you've been reading the book or the backup features plus the first issue, up until this point, and you read that cover blurb that promised the revelations of what happened to the original Blue Beetle and how Ted became Blue Beetle and all that, you'd probably pick it up, regardless of what you thought of the cover. Or, you know, if you'd been alive in 1967, you know, which I I was not. But anyway, page one. Um, I kind of like the half-page splash of Ted in the action poses. It's kind of cool, including the close-up of his face, which actually looks pretty good uh but i'm not a fan of ditko's rendition of rendition of the dan garrett blue beetle even later in the book it it just doesn't seem right i don't know i i'm not a fan of the costume at any rate but ditko's version looks very stocky i won't say short but stocky and he looks more most of the other art that i've seen of this version of the character uh is more lithe I guess. I don't know. But then we get the whole subplot accounted for thing out of the way in the first panel, which is very helpful. By the way, all subplots accounted for thing is trademark of Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bailey over it from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Page two, Blue Beetle's flying bug has changed quite a bit over the years. I'm used to seeing a ship that more resembles a, a ship with some accoutrement to look like a bug like legs that don't do a whole lot uh, except maybe his landing gear and uh, they're kind of skinny and uh, basically it looks like a big upside down bowl with bug eyes Uh, this version really looks like a bug I mean the you can't I mean it just looks like a bug I don't know how else to explain it. it so it's a little weird a little different Still cool, though. I mean, a flying bug. Who wouldn't want one of those? Uh, page three. I'm noticing that when Tracy is stressed, she holds her right hand up to her head, so it looks like she's either holding an earpiece in her ear or holding her ear onto her face or her head. This happens later in the book. I think I've actually noticed this in some of Spider-Man books. Um, so I'm guessing it's just a thing he does. I guess he think, uh, Steve. I guess Ditko thought that when a woman gets excited... Or nervous, she she puts her hand up. I don't know. Never seen that in real life. Anyway, uh, Ted looks a lot like Peter Parker here. Plus, give or take, you know, adding a, a few years, maybe five years to him. 
looks slightly older, but very Peter Parker-ish. Um, at least on this page. It kind of uh, varies throughout the issue, unfortunately. Uh, on page 8, or I'm sorry, on panel 8 of this page, you get an exterior shot from street level looking up at Jarvis's window. I'm thinking if you look at it, if you have it, uh, they must be shouting because the word balloons are coming from the window outside, if that makes any sense to you. And a couple of the people are actually looking up at the window, like they can hear it and they're listening. It's kind of weird. Uh, on page four, Uncle Jarvis has these large, giant out, uh, eyebrows that just scream evil. Uh, it's a very... It's actually kind of uh, Kirby-esque, I guess you could say, because a lot of Kirby's fourth world guys that had that were bad guys had those the huge, pointy eyebrows. Yeah, that's what these look like. Um, page five, Ted's reasoning for calling Dan seems kind of random. I guess... Knowing from I knew him from college, and he was has a reputation as an upright as an upright person, uh, is a long-winded way of saying for reasons of plot. On page twelve, we get a full-page splash of Ted's blue beetle swinging toward us, with what I'm guessing are some of Steve's, uh, with what I'm guessing are some of Ditko's design sketches behind him. The orange really helps you focus on the blue of Ted's suit and breaks up the fact that behind the orange is like a city at nighttime, which is the same blue as the darker blue of Ted's costume. So it helps offset it. It kind of makes it pop a little. It works very well. Orange is a complementary color of blue, so it all pops together. Sorry, I got a little arty. Uh, plus, my, and the cool part here, is that there's a nice Steve Ditko signature in the corner, which he must have loved being able to do since Marvel, and I'm pretty sure DC, had kind of a no-signature policy. A few car uh, a few were able to slip, slip them in, but for the most part, they weren't supposed to sign their work, so especially on covers, it was hard to tell who did what. The um, Personally, I think... That wasn't a good idea, but this page would make a great poster or a pinup, except for the fact that there is text uh, there is text on it, which means you'd be missing a, a whole caption box if you ripped it out of the story. And while I'm looking at a digital version because I don't have a print copy, uh, it's I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's possible that um, you'd also be taking out other pages of the story so you kind of screw up the whole thing and it i i don't know what the what this issue is going for on the market these days but um considering it's technically the origin of the ted cord blue beetle it's probably not super cheap I mean, i'm not gonna say it's action comics number one prices but we're probably talking i'd hazard to guess in the 50s or 60s maybe i don't know Especially now that uh, Ditko has passed away. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, and if you want to see this page, uh, check, go over to charliesgeekcast.com once I post the episode, which it, if you're listening to this, I have done. Right. Because uh, I'm going to post the image over there. Pages 13 through 17 are basically the fight between Ted and the robots. 
I'm not sure how he survives this fight. BC, BC, because we've already established that these robots are super strong. I mean, they're bending steel in their bare hands. I'm not going to go out on the limb and say they're Superman level strong, but they might be, I don't know, Spider-Man or Captain America level strong. And these guys are hitting Ted full force. Now, keep in mind, any protection Ted might have had as far as gadgetry in his mask, he doesn't have because he took his mask off to show Tracy his identity and he still hasn't put it back on yet. So he's getting hit full on on the face from super punches and he's a normal mortal human being in pretty good shape, but he's just a normal mortal human being. Now, there's a possibility if you want to no prize it, which they didn't do at Charlton, but whatever. You could probably no prizes because it's been apparently months since Ted escaped. So there's a possibility that they used up a lot of their power trying to dig their way out. There's a possibility that they got damaged in the explosions and therefore don't aren't working at full power. But none of that's explained. There's no dialogue or captions uh, stating that they're weaker than normal. There's no nothing in the art to suggest that there's damage to the robots. So you're, it's pretty safe to assume these are full-powered, uh, fully charged, ready-to-go robots that are clobbering this man who is not is can duck but isn't putting up much of a return on the fight. And somehow he survives. I mean, he almost loses consciousness, but not quite. Now, note that the lettering was credited to A Machine. A, like the first name, dot machine. That's possible. It could just be a little euphemism because they typed it or something. But it doesn't look typed. Uh, it almost looks like, you know, these days how people can create, you know, they'll create a whole font package based on someone's handwriting, and then they can use that to do the lettering in a comic book. It's like they tried to do that, but they didn't have that technology in 1967. So I'm not exactly sure how they did this. Because it looks like a little bit like handwriting, but just the, I mean, I, I did my best to look at the to look at the letters and compare them, and they look pretty similar. All the A's look about the same, all the E's look about the same, the S's look about the same. Everything's very uniform and straight. Um, another thing I noticed is that all the word balloons are more square than round. They they're still roundish, but they're very uh, squared off instead of being like ovals. The thought balloons have that cloud. Uh, that they, you know, comic book vernacular. Thought balloons are in clouds. Word balloons are balloons. Uh, the thought the thought bubbles with the cloudiness of it. Um, I cannot talk. The cloudy thought bubbles. Also, uh, in between some of the cloud loops, um, you can actually see the straight line behind it. So it's like they had to draw over the a word balloon thing with the cloud thing and this weren't able to erase it or forgot to erase it. And then the colors didn't color through it. So whatever. It's just really weird. I, I'm not sure. The, the first the first issues of Blue Beetle when he was in the backup feature in Captain Adam actually looked like handwriting. But by this point, it, 
I, I don't know how to explain it. It's weird. Anyway, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about in the caption when I post the main image, the, the big poster image. Overall, this was a pretty cool story. I've only seen this origin maybe one other time, and that was in an episode of Batman Brave and the Bold. I only saw it once back when it aired, and also, you know, things would have had to be changed due to the fact that you have to have Batman in the story, and, you know, they're, they're probably modernizing some parts of it. I like the idea of the new Blue Beetle having that connection to the old one rather than just forgetting the old one ever existed. Or having Dan's stories take place on an alternate Earth that's very much like our own, yet slightly different. Also, I know that there will be there are some people that will be upset by this, but like I said before, I'm not a huge fan of Ditko's art. It isn't super consistent here, with Ted looking like he's being portrayed by at least three different people of different body types and weight. Um, but it's it is nice to see his artwork outside of Spider-Man or that one Superman pinup in Superman 400. So it was kind of cool. Uh, it's nice to see that it, it doesn't change too much outside of the outside of what I recognize from Spider-Man. Uh, unfortunately, Ted and company would only show up for about mm, three more issues before Charlton would cancel the series. I believe they did away with just about all the superhero books when they did that, but at least they did this to Blue Beetle. After that, he has only one more appearance at Charlton before DC bought the characters in 1983, and he doesn't appear over at DC until Crisis on Infinite Earths number 1 in 1985. He appears in most, not all, but most of the issues of that series, but he manages to survive the crisis, and then he gets his own title. That lasts for about 24 issues, and then he also, during that same time, becomes a member of the Justice League and Justice League International. And then Justice League America. I think that's it. And he stays on that through the rest of the 80s. Uh, and a good chunk of the 90s. So he's always in the consciousness. Every, I mean, it's hard to read DC Comics without knowing who Ted Cord Blue Beetle is. Or Booster Gold, for that matter. He was a major player in the Birds of Prey later on in the 2000s. Before they decided to kill him off at, during for Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Although he got better. So he came back and again joined the, was it, I can't believe it's not the Justice League or formerly known as the Justice League, something like that. And uh, now uh, he kind of uh, stuck around until the new 52 reboot in 2011. He was not mentioned at all during that reboot. I believe the idea was that the only Blue Beetle was the Jaime Reyes character who had been introduced after Infinite Crisis and but continued into New 52 but now after Rebirth he uh, he's not Blue Beetle per se but he is the mentor of Jaime Reyes the current Blue Beetle I think he's trying to find that scarab too if I recall I honestly should have read that before I did this, but I, I didn't, and I can't stop to read it now. Anyway, Ditko really seemed to have a knack for creating characters with a lot of staying power. I mean, let's face it. Without Ditko, we'd probably still have a Spider-Man from Marvel. It wouldn't be the same Spider-Man. He might not be quite as popular. He may be one of the lower tier characters. I mean, and certainly, um, almost certainly, he would not be the flagship character that he is today. 
but we'd still have a Spider-Man of some sort. But this character, this new Blue Beetle, the Question, the Creeper, Squirrel Girl, they would not exist if it wasn't for Steve Ditko. Hawk and Dove over at DC would not exist without Steve Ditko. He was not only a huge factor in shaping the worlds of comics, but he was and will be a legend. Rest in peace, Steve Ditko. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening and good night. Are you-